Oh yeah, what's up? Welcome everybody. Welcome to the Artist of Data Science Happy Hour. Super excited to have all of you guys here. It is Friday, April 23rd. My God. Time's going quick, man. Super excited to have all of you guys here. Hopefully you got an opportunity to check out the interview that I posted earlier today as part of the podcast with Dr. Kevin Zolman. We talked a lot about game theory, which I was uh, really interested in a few months ago. So it was really great opportunity for me to chat with him. He's kind of a big deal. He um, has some videos on a big think all about uh, game theory. So definitely recommend checking out those videos as well as listening into the interview. Super excited to have all of you guys here. See some good friends in the house. Vin, my man, what is up? We also got Akshay, Vivian, Tor. Man, so many good friends in the house. Really, really excited to, to have all of you guys here. I thought I'd open up with a question, you know, just to get us kind of started here. And I'm curious, man, like what, what brings you guys to data science? Like you guys are talented individuals, extremely intelligent of all the career paths that you could have picked for yourself, of all the things you could choose to do with your life. Why data science? What is so compelling about data science for you? I'd love to, love to, uh, to learn more about that. Let's start with my friend, Vin. Vin, why data science? Uh, I don't really have a good answer for that. I just like figuring stuff out. And one of the things I really enjoy figuring out is why people do the stuff that they do. So that's always been kind of my, like I've followed that because I love the behavioral side of things. I never went towards the psychology side. I, I just didn't get it as a field. I always thought the data was really going to be like how we figure people out, how we figured out how to get into people's heads, I guess. And so that's what got me into the field. And now, like, I don't know if I'm still in the field or not. I still do data science and machine learning, but I also do a lot of other stuff. So I'm not sure if I'm a good person to ask this question to, because I got into the field, spent a lot of time. It's been fun. I still enjoy it to a certain extent, but I think, you know, at some point everyone has a, well, what's next element, you know, when you're in data science. And I think that's where I am right now is like, what's next? I, I don't, so I don't know. I, I've got into data science. I think it's awesome. I don't know if I'm going to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been wondering that too. I guess part of the reason I'm asking that question is I'm wondering that because I kind of stumbled my way into data science in a sense. It, it sounds weird when I say that, but I started out become wanting to become an actuary back in, you know, this was 2007, 2008, because back then that was the sexy career. That was the career we get paid big bucks. So I pursued that and somewhere along the way ended up in, in data science. Um, but yeah, Vivian, what about you? Like, why data science? So just just for everybody who just joined in, you know, we're going to start the hour off um, with the question, why data science? What, what of all the things you could have done with your life? Why data science? And in the meantime, while we're bouncing this question around, I want to hear if you have questions. So just type into the chat and I'll add you to the queue. Vivian, go for it. Why data science? Um, I mean, I guess that's hard to answer because I actually feel like upon stumbling upon it, I wish that I had known about it sooner because I feel like upon stumbling upon it, I was like, oh, I finally found the thing that like fits all the pieces that I've been looking for, you know? And that's why I've sort of felt so like disjointed previously of like trying to figure out like why, you know, certain certain things feel like they sort of fit, but not quite fit. So I, I mean, I love data science. I love that. I just love that you get to ha use some soft skills, but also like those really hard technical skills. I absolutely love that. Like whenever you're stuck, there's always like another thing to try, you know, I, 
I love that. I love that there's, it feels like there's no end to me right now, at least where I am of like things to learn, you know, things to try. I, that's what I love about it. It's just like, it goes so deep and so wide and it's so varied. I love it. Yeah. I like that. There's not one single definition of what data science is or what a data scientist does. Right. So I, I like that aspect of it as well. That it, it's so big, it's so varied. You can choose your path in any number of, of different ways. Um, so, why data science? That is the question that I that I'm curious to hear your response to. Let's hear from uh, my friend Austin. Austin, why data science? Yeah. So, data science, uh, kind of like what Vivian was saying, is broad. It's vast. There's a lot of opportunity in it, and it all depends on what you like to do whether it be the analytics piece, you like to do strategy and work with business stakeholders, or maybe you like to do more of the engineering and kind of doing the full pipelines. Uh, there's a role for any kind of style. And I think for me, um, that's really great because I, I like the analytics piece right now that I'm kind of doing. And I'd like to take like a step more into the, the modeling and just to get a little bit down there, kind of moving into the full production pipeline. But ultimately for me, I want to do kind of more strategy. I like helping influence businesses and working with stakeholders and leaders. So for me, it's just a getting a skill set that I can then translate to and help people understand the value and how to ultimately drive value. Love that. For for everybody that just joined in, the question that we're opening up with is, is why data science? Of all the wonderful things you could have done with your life and your time, why data science? So we're going to get responses right now from Akshay, then Greg, and then we'll go to Tom Ives. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, so for me, it's like, why not data science, right? Instead of saying, why data science? Um, and in my case, it began with a academic project in college like seven, eight years ago uh, with a data mining idea. So I grew up in India and traffic is a big problem there. So we, we designed a simulation model on different parameters like size of the road, number of vehicles, time of the day. And we worked on a model that would predict how much traffic flow can be handled at a given intersection. So that was my first hands-on experience with data. I only had a software engineering degree at that point, but that's where curiosity peaked towards data science. And I realized data can solve a lot of problems. Um, and there is so much to explore. You can apply techniques not only in one stream like engineering, but you can go all the way from sales advertising. And for me, uh, my career grew out into forensic technology in consulting. And then I've done data science in a compliance environment, financial crime investigation. So short answer, there is a lot of potential in what data can do uh, as long as you have curiosity to get insights from data. Um, and yeah, I think everybody has different perspective and background from where they come into data science. And that's what makes it a unique field for me. It's interesting. It's almost like uh, you're saying that, yeah, we got like a industry agnostic set of skills. Like it does not matter where you pick us up and drop us industry wise. There's probably something we can do to help them out. Greg, let's hear from you. Then after Greg, we're going to hear from Thomas Ives. Right now, my friends, we're talking about why we are getting into data science. Why data science? In the meantime, if you have questions, uh, let me know and I'll add you to the queue. Go for it, Greg. Yeah, thanks, uh, Harpreet. To me, it's about, you know, why I like working with data science teams is from, from a business side, it's actually helping me answer hard to, hard to answer questions. Um, 
about businesses kind of like beyond intuition. Um, for example, you know, why did this customer leave us all of a sudden? I didn't see that coming. And working with a team that is fully equipped with, you know, scientific approaches to 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 help answer these hard questions. Or why do we keep missing these documents? Or why is this document missing this claim that is critical to to our business that is causing us, you know, to, to get fined by, you know, entities, things like that. And um, that, that's why I find it interesting is, you know, we, we can have all the business experts in the world, but uh, beyond intuition, there is, you know, a sound approach to um, solving issues that, you know, us humans by ourselves, we can't really figure out. And that's done through, you know, uh, pulling patterns outside of data to, to figure it out. And um, I couldn't find a, a better team to do that with. So absolutely. Greg, thank you so much for that. So let's hear from Tom Ives. Tom, my man, good to see you again. Hey, brother Hopri. You look like you're on fire or something, dude. I'm on fire. What do you mean? Oh, I'm going because <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on, man. So Tom, uh, so for everybody that just joined, there's a few people that joined in. The question that we're starting the hour with is why data science of all the things that you could do with your life why data science go for it so um when i was growing up if i was a prodigy in any area it was art and so what did i choose um science and then of the sciences what was i more gifted in the life sciences so what did i choose the physical sciences i made my first c in high school in physics i was mortified but i thought wow this stuff is so cool and I, I felt blessed that my very stoic physics teacher in high school, he walked by my desk one day, who was a senior, goes, Tommy, you know where you're going to go to school? I said, yeah, University of Texas, Austin. What are you going to study? Mechanical engineering. And I thought he was going to make some snide remark. He said, you should do well. And that, that encouraged me. So I went off and did that. And I remember vividly sitting in dynamics and statics and going, what? I was lost at times. Uh, but eventually it kicked in. And at one point we were studying, um, sorry for the, the, the years, it becomes long history. This really amazing man named Henry Painter created this graphical way to show how all the uh, differential equations of a multi-physical system relate to one another by showing energy flows and energy storage elements and energy dissipation. And, and I fell in love with it. And I remember in my senior design course, now, by the way, this relates to data science, but it was physics-based instead of data-based. And um, But if you look at first principles physics, it's all built on very simple data science techniques. And But I fell in love with the ability to predict a system before you built it. And I did that on our senior design project, went off and served in some other cool work with our uh, nation's uh, nuclear navy. But couldn't get it out of my system. I went back and while I was in graduate school studying robotics and uh, multi-physical system modeling, control system design, I did my dissertation on um, design and modeling of hybrid electric vehicle power plants. And I saw limits to our traditional modeling methods. So I started studying neural networks and expert systems from some of the control systems professors that I really liked. And um, I had the bug. When I went into industry, I was primarily using my design methodology skills and multi-physics modeling, but there was a shift at some point where we needed dashboards and reporting and automating data flows and, and predicting things with statistics type modeling. And I remember a, me a mechanical engineering professor inviting me to co-teach 
design of experiments, which is very deeply steeped in data science type methods. So what I'm really trying to say is from physics in high school, I was hooked at predictive modeling. But somewhere along the way, I got it that, hey, you don't always have to model. If you just look at the data carefully and you format it and clean it right, you can learn a lot from that. So Harpreet, it was addiction, stronger than uh, any other mental addiction I've come across. The ability to predict and tell stories with data. That's why I latched on to Scott Taylor so much. Love that guy. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. And Tom with rugged good looks like that. When are you not modeling? Oh, uh, man. Let's uh, let's take this qu next question. We're going to go to Greg and then Eric. Then we're going to circle back around to this because Vivian has an interesting question that's spinning off of this around inspiration. So stick around if you want to uh, hear that conversation. Let's go to Greg, then Eric. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so my question is about a look, not necessarily data science. So I was reading uh, uh, somewhere where uh, total cost allocated to, you know, IT budgets are around for cloud around 30%. Okay, so cloud spending is about 30%, 35% of uh, IT budget. I guess my question is, you know, what what is the other 70 something percent that ITs do and how is data science playing into that, you know, 70%? Because it feels like most of the, you know, impact that data science is doing is in that 32, 35% spending of IT budget in the cloud and, and what's happening with the other 70. Let's hear from Joe on this one. Yeah, Rick, to, to clarify, are you, you saying, um, are you talking about general cloud expenditure? Yeah. Yeah, like, so if you look at the breakout, let's talk, let's talk about cloud expense, for, exa for example. Most of your cost, most of the way the clouds make money is from um, uh, compute, it's just selling server time. That's gonna be like, I'm not gonna give any stats, so I know them, <laughs> but uh, for most of the, but it's, uh, it's, it's most of the revenue these clouds make. Is off, so, like Kubernetes, for example, big money maker, right? You can spin up servers, spending all the time. Machine learning workloads, from what I understand, um, they're actually pretty minimal expenditure for a lot of these clouds. Big money makes makers are like application, uh, server time, and related stuff. Um, databases as well, right? But that, again, the cost behind that is database servers running. And storage is a much less... Um, you make a lot of money off storage, I would say, but that, that's more kind of a long play. The idea is you can get the data in the cloud. The rest kind of follows. So the next question is what, what happens to the other like 70, 65% or whatever, right? Where's that other spend? Um, a lot of it's still on-prem expenditures, right? So it's either like licensing, hardware, all the other stuff that you typically see in a data center. So, um, you know, if, I mean, if you look at the expenses of a lot of um, on-prem and data center costs, I mean, licensing is not an insignificant amount of money. You get signed up, for, you know, for a deal and then it ends up costing you millions a year for this stuff. And then you got obviously got to upgrade your hardware. <laughs> Second cheap. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because, you know, I, I asked once about just data science workloads in general, like how much these things make. And uh, from what I could gather, um, it's not that much yet. Uh, but I think the expectation is the reason they're investing a lot of money into all the clouds are investing a lot of money into this is because it's expected that this is going to at least, at least right now, I definitely act as a loss leader because there's a lot of popularity in terms of getting people onto the cloud. Um, but then as you know, data science, machine learning adoption becomes uh, you know a driving force, and obviously, um, you know, costs will go up or revenue will go up. So yeah, because because I'm thinking it's never going to be like 100% IT spending 
for allocating the cloud is always going to be like some companies will, will remain on on premise, for, for example. And at this point, you know, are we going to have a little bit more visibility on what is the impact of data science on that, you know, on premise and, you know, something that is off cloud and things like that? You know, I, I haven't heard much about that. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because it, it depends. So there's this word that's thrown on, it's called like usage and right. And so that, that varies depending on who's doing the studies and these surveys. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but yeah. you know, AT expenditure as a whole, you know, I, I mean, if you look at various stats, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty significant chunk of just aggregate spend. I'm not sure what, it, what, what it makes up GDP, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's growing. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because depending, because so to couple with what you said, right. So it's interesting because I hear stats like anywhere from like 5% on the cloud all the way to like, you know, 50 to 80% of companies are doing AI, right? <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> which, which ones were we talking, which numbers are we talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I tend to, I tend to, when I talk with um, the clouds, uh, it tends to fall in the number kind of like the 25 to 35% range. I think that's about right of adoption so far. So. Thank you, Joe. Of course. Was that a sufficient answer for you there, Greg? Yeah, awesome. appreciate it. Right on, man. Let's go to Eric's question. And then guys, um, if you guys do have a question, please go ahead and let me know in the chat. I will add you to the queue. Eric, go for it. Yeah, Harper, so, real quick, Eric, Eric, yeah. can you tell everyone your latest awesome news that you've been sharing? I don't know what's Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> cool. Like, uh, yeah, so we had our, my team just presented our final big practicum project. It's basically the equivalent of my thesis defense um, just a couple of days ago, and we killed it. We got like, yeah, we, we did awesome. It went really well. Super proud of my team. Super stoked. So we've got one more presentation to our institute director and then to our sponsor, Duke Health. And so we'll share our findings with them for what we've been working on for the last eight months. Yeah, it's been great. So it feels so good to have that taken care of. I was sweating it. Congrats, <laughs> man. That is awesome. Thanks. Congrats. So excited about it. So my question was, this is kind of a, kind of a work-life integration type question. And that is when, so like we're all get on here, like the only time I ever see Vin or Joe is like when they're sitting in their, you know, like fortress of solitude. Sometimes Vin has like um, a small, a small companion um, chilling by his side or something like that. Right. Um, but like what I see here is the work face of everybody, right. The business face, like when do y'all clean your bathrooms and do your laundry? Like Joe may have 365 looker and druid shirts, but most of us have to do laundry more often than once a year, probably. And I'm just like super like curious to know, like, I mean, come on, Greg has to clean the house sometimes, right? Do you have a routine or do you just like, just kind of like wing it whenever you're out of clothes? Like, I guess it's laundry day. So well, for me, it's whenever I get a chance, but um, it's because I got a little baby, but that is something that, you know, starting very soon, like as of next week, I'm outsourcing all that stuff because it does take away time from, for me to do other stuff, right? So um, having my wife adopt my mindset where we set an hourly rate for our time and we can aspirationally high hourly rate and anything that we do with our time should be worth the hourly rate. And if we can outsource a task that's less, less than that hourly rate, then we should do it because we're essentially just buying back our time. And I have people come to my house on Tuesday to do a complete cleaning and then getting them on the on the uh, weekly cadence there just to outsource all of that right um that's me my perspective uh 
But yeah, let's hear from, I guess, Vin first and whoever else wants to answer that. When do you guys clean your toilets? That is the question. Um, Definitely agree with our pre. Just outsource as much as you can to people who are way better and way faster at it than you are, especially when it comes to basic chores like that, because I can have somebody who cleans the house, takes them 90 minutes. It would take me like four hours, five hours to get that done. So, I mean, it doesn't make sense because I have somebody that's way better at it that can handle that. Same thing with the yard. I mean, so a lot of what I do, you know, from a personal standpoint is aimed at spending time with my daughter, spending time with family. It's just, you know, what's really important. What are those activities that are the highest return from a personal satisfaction standpoint? I mean, we optimize our careers. So why not optimize your personal life in exactly the same way? And what I'm thinking about, uh, you know, how do I do social media and all that stuff on top of working? Uh, Like I've gotten really good at pulling back those five minutes that, you know, most of the time, you know, how you have five minutes where you're like, what am I going to do with five minutes for me? I'll hop on Twitter. I'll hop on LinkedIn. I'll reply to some comments or, you know, do these little things that make it seem like I'm everywhere all the time, but really I'm not. It's just like, you know, my meeting ended five minutes earlier or something like that, or I'm way, you know, I'm watching gear and bounce up and down at a bounce house. And it's like, I got two seconds. You know, it's really getting good at finding those five and 10 minutes and knowing exactly what I'm going to do with five minutes that can have maximum impact. And like I said, when it comes to social life, huge, make time for people around you and make time to get to know people. All of that's just kind of massive, really, really important. And in the end, it's way, way more important than your career. So, you know, especially with all of us in these offices, like this is my house, you know, and I've worked from home since 2011, 2012. And I've gotten really good at, and Harpreet and I have talked about this. I've gotten really good at, like, if I'm working, I'm working. But if someone comes in here, they're probably more important than anything else that I'm doing. And so I do hard stops when something more important comes into my office, but also try to set boundaries with my life and say, look, this is my office. I work here. But at the same time, I mean, even when you're working, never forget what's most important in your life. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Uh, Greg, go for it. I, I really love uh, Vin's response. You know, for me too, you know, I have two boys and, uh, uh, you know, and my wife, you know, this is the top priority, right? To to spend time with family. Uh, my wife and I, the, the stuff we uh, outsource so far, her and I, we haven't been to the supermarket for more than a year now. So uh, if you imagine we, we like different things, we have to put the kids in the car, strap them, go in there, have to answer all their questions. So it takes so long. So we agreed that outsourcing that, have somebody deliver for us, uh, saves us tons of time. And then uh, for, for a bathroom cleaning, I have a weird uh, um, schedule, right? Before before my shower, I would, I would clean it. Um, and then I also use these kind of chores to disconnect from everything. And that's the time for me to to think about different things. Like I find ideas in the shower, like it's weird, right? I could take a walk and, and find ideas. So I, I, I try inside of a week, uh, find, you know, may, maybe on a daily basis, 30 minutes to myself where I don't think about my family. It might sound wrong, but I don't think about my family so I can think about the future for my family, right? So I don't think about the immediate needs so I can think about the future or come up with an idea that would solve issues for work. Uh, and things like that. So uh, these chores, uh, they might be chaotic. I might not have a quick, you know, a routine for them, but they're needed so I can disconnect from working, social media and things like that. And then the other piece of networking too, uh, it's kind of like as opportunities uh, show up, 
uh, because I do make time for social media, I get to meet people. So when I find interesting people who are, whom I think I can help or can help me, I make time for that to kind of meet in person or uh, meet via, you know, Zoom or anything like that. So uh, I don't have a, a set routine, unfortunately, but uh, my wife and I, we talk about that a lot. Is what we're doing, does it have um, purpose? Right. Does it have purpose? Is it, is it, are we fulfilled by, you know, leveraging that 15 minutes to perform an act? And, you know, I wish I wish I were, you know, acting like that the past, you know, 10 years of my career It's kind of like I was just chasing that promotion with no purpose. Right. But now it's kind of like we have this uh, a family to, to grow. Um, and are we, are we acting, you know, towards life with purpose? Uh, does it make sense and stuff like that? And how do we tackle all these tasks uh, while we feel fulfilled? So, Eric, do you want to hear some more responses or is that good? Or does anybody else want to chime in there? I can chime in. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So the way I approach um, work and things and advancement is I want to do the things that I want to work so that way I can live the way I want. Um, so I have to make time for my family. I'm making time to do those chores. I don't have it, anything outsourced yet. I'm not quite to that level. Um, that's probably like right in the next step, the, on the roadmap of things to do, like, what can I, cause I think about that as well as like, what, how much time am I spending to do this? And can somebody do it way faster? Um, but for me, the, I kind of use those chores, like putting away the dishes and um, folding laundry is my favorite just to like think, or that's the time where I'm listening to a podcast or something that I want to do. It's, it gives me like that separation where it's outside of work. It's outside of things that I'm doing specifically with family, but it gives me another opportunity to just kind of think and reflect um, or still learn in a different form. So I try to schedule things as best as I can, but I also am kind to myself and realize like, Hey, if I'm not quite at hundred percent right now that I'm going to listen to myself, my body, and I'll make sure that I do it like the next day or something like that. I just, um, set it up for, or set myself up for as much success as possible. Yeah, I love that. Like uh, folding laundry is the time that I'll spend watching like impact theory or listening to Tim Ferriss podcast or something, just taking in some good information, try to use that, use that time wisely. Uh, Greg left, but uh, on the same page with him, with respect to picking up groceries, we haven't really stepped foot inside a grocery store in like two years. We just have it, uh, we just drive up and they put it in our trunk and we come back home. Luckily for us, it's just a few minutes. Um, but yeah, man, you gotta be ruthless with, with your time. Um, Cause realistically, man, you, you got one life on your on this planet. You use that time that is going to propel you in, in the right direction, right? Like, um, Eric, any, any, would you like to hear oh, anybody else? Or does anybody no, else want to talk to us super, about? Yeah. I'm about just this. curious, like, you know, because it's like, I think it's also important. It's just like how on, on LinkedIn, like if only, if people only ever share, like if, if the only time I had posted in LinkedIn in the last year was when I was like, hey, I just basically finished my master's program. Like nobody would know me and I'd have like no depth mm-hmm. to like, my me right and so it's like just kind of the same thing like here like how do we understand i don't understand like who we are you know and like what does real life look like for data folk whether that's real life working or real life folding laundry while listening to impact theory or or whatever right so yeah that's great i really appreciate it yeah i like that i like that a lot Thanks for asking that question, Joe. I see you're unmuted. Do you want to tell us? Well, yeah, I was just going to say that to add to, I think there's there's a lot to be said for the efficiencies of outsourcing stuff. I was going to say for anybody who has kids, um, have them do a lot of the work. Uh, 
I just noticed there's like a, I don't know, I don't want to sound like a, like a curmudgeon or something. I just noticed like this is just a lack of like work ethic for kids these days. So, um, you know, so I would say uh, if you have kids, um, just make a list, have them take it off. It's part of the job. Yeah, so. I think my, my son should start walking like three weeks. Uh, first thing I'm going to do is give him a broom. Him. Better. Yeah. Otherwise, he's <laughs> slacking. I don't know what, you know. Learn, learn how to do this. <laughs> what's, he, what's he doing with life? <laughs> so, right you only on have one life to live, kid. So that's right. it starts now. Oh, yeah. Dude, I can't wait to drill into my aphorisms into that kid's head. He's going to be filled with all sorts of thoughts. Um, so Sorb has a question. Um, and then I do eventually want to get back to uh, Vivian's question here and, and maybe get some more responses around that from uh, some of the people that joined us a little bit later. But Sorb wants to know about the future of data science. It's going to hell, man. It is, it is going down, burning, and a ball of glory. Uh, but Sorb, go ahead, ask your question, and then we'll have uh, Vin give the response for that. Yeah, great. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I just um, had a question around um, maturity of data science. Um, like in IT industry, uh, we have uh, you know maturity uh, levels like like we have CMMI uh, capability maturity model. It basically shows the maturity of the industry as a whole. Is there something like uh, like like that in in data science? And what is really the future of uh, data science? Is it maturing from one level to the other, or you know a completely different path? Then I take that. Yeah, I, like I think the earliest maturity model for data science that I saw was like Kirk Bourne took a stab at it, and IBM did two right around the same time, and that was I think it was 2013. Or I mean, it's there's been a ton of them that have been proposed. Microsoft's got one that's really comprehensive right now, but I don't know that any of them have been widely adopted. It seems like every very mature company has their own maturity model. And so you're not going to find any sort of consensus there. Um, I mean, I've got one. So it's, it really is. Everybody's got an opinion on what maturity looks like and trying to get anyone to agree on the right way to do data sciences. Uh, If you try to get a coalition, and I've seen these where you have a panel of multiple companies working together on a project and, oh, it's... Yikes. It, it, it's, it's that weird. So yes, there are maturity models. No, there's no agreement. And when it comes to the future of machine learning, I think there's an equal number of opinions out there. So I can say, so let me just umbrella it. I think the future is research. You're looking at more of the hardcore science side of this. Um, and you're also going to see a role for an applied researcher start showing up. There's actually a lot of openings now, if you look out there, for pure researchers. And there's starting to be sort of this description of an applied researcher, someone who's doing more of a research project with the purpose of creating novel models or novel data sets that are going to end up being used across multiple projects. And so that's kind of this innovation made real type of role where where that's going to be a competitive advantage for the business. I think we're going in that direction from a a role standpoint from like a, if I was going to pick one thing to learn, I would say start getting used to causal inference and causal modeling frameworks. Start looking at those now because they're starting to work. Like we're at the point where we're not really in 2016, 2017, everyone was like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then nobody could figure out how to make it work. And over the last year and a half, two years, you've started seeing people actually put causal methods and frameworks in production and they work. So I think that's where we're going. Anybody else want to talk about maturity models for data science? I'm curious, like, um, it's going to be a dumb question. Like, why, what are maturity models good for? 
I guess, right? Like, it's actually, I was writing about this today, actually. It's a very subject. Because um, maturity models, I mean, so typically you find these um, to describe maybe where a company is with whatever practice you're trying to apply a data maturity model to, right? Or maturity model in general. Um, and there's no shortage of maturity models. So it seems like almost every uh, every organization, nonprofit, data, or um, uh, you know, company or third party has a maturity model. The, the way I kind of described it, you know, um, today I just broke it down to three stages. And like, are you getting started? Are you moving? Or are you like, you know, um, basically driven by data at that point? And so maybe it's a bit simplistic, but because it does influence kind of where you would be. There's a, you know, in my case, it was writing about data engineers. But the same thing applies to data scientists. Either you're going to be like a, if you're starting out, you're probably an army of one and doing everything, right? Um, you know, and you start formalizing your processes as you go up the chain and, and your capabilities. So, um, but the, the crux of it, I think the crux of the question though is like data science maturity, right? It kind of presupposes that there's, I think, a consensus definition of what data science is. And every time we, we've done these chats, I think we, we, um, we sort of pinball it uh, a bit and it, you know, in the sense where it kind of goes around and around and it ends up in the exact same destination at the end. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say that maybe it's the first thing we need to tackle, but in terms of maturity though, it's, I would say maturity of progression though. I kind of look at it as, um, you know, at one company I worked at, we had, uh, they're really into star Wars. Um, and Ericsson's really dig it. Um, so we had this, uh, this model where you, you like Padawan all the way up to like, uh, Yoda or something. Um, and, Basically, Padawan was what you'd think, right? Just a beginner and Yoda or whatever it was, was like, you were able to see like through walls and crazy shit um, and basically anticipate problems before they, they happen, right? Um, I actually thought that was pretty, a really good way of describing it because um, if you're senior enough, I mean, you're, it's not so much like you're, you're awesome at framework, actual framework, why? Because those things come and go, but it's like, are you able to anticipate um, potential roadblocks, not just now, but like 12 steps down the road? Like kind of like a chess master or something. So I don't know, maybe there's an ELO scale I could use for maturity in that regard. Yeah. So. I've seen maturity models for analytics. Analytics maturity model, I think it was Tom Davenport's a uh, model from whatever his consulting services. I really like that. I thought that made sense, but I don't know if that would apply for for data science. But uh, Sorb, hopefully that answers your question. So let me know if it doesn't, or if anybody else has some thoughts they want to share around this topic, please do let me know. Is, is this related to the future of data science? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Sorb, want to rephrase the question real quick? Yeah, um, I think there are two two angles to this uh, future of data science. Yes, and also um, you know someone um, already in data science switching from say one company to the other company, and uh, okay, in this company everyone everything was well said, all processes been there, done it all, kind of. Uh, kind of an organization in data science and then you join a, some other company, a startup or maybe a middle uh, middle level organization and everything is just chaotic and you're you know, starting uh, from scratch, setting up teams and everything. How do you measure uh, what level one company is at in data science versus the other from that uh, perspective? Yeah, I guess my question to that is like, like, what does that matter when, you, when you're doing work? Like what I, I, would, I would be focused myself coming into an organization that's disorganized rather than trying to tell them that they're on some lower rung of the maturity model, just be like, all right, well, you guys are not doing things correctly. Let's get some more order around this. And then let's just start doing data science. Like I wouldn't, uh, that's just me personally saying that 
Like I, w- I wouldn't just be like, all right, where do we lie in this maturity model spectrum? I'd be like, all right, cool. Let's do data science guys. <laughs> Let's make this work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a lot of departments really like data or otherwise, right? Like it, 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 even accounting departments and like disarray, I, I can make an argument that's going to have a like, way bigger impact on, on the business than like data science. Um, Cause shit's not getting paid for one. <laughs> so, um, you know, so there's a lot of ways you could look at it, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's a management issue, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. It's an organizational issue. It's, this is, I mean, if you want to, if you want to know how to how to fix things like that, I'd be looking at like Peter Drucker and the books he's written, for example. So basically, uh, I, basically, I'd be solving the business problems. End of story. Bingo! It's all it is, man. I mean, it's, you could you could replace data science with like I don't know custodial work or something. It's the same thing. Which is actually like they're all they're both kind of the same thing too. Data science and custodial work, but. Um, but yeah. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. Cool, man. Um, so any other questions before we get back to Vivian's question? She had a question around inspiration. I don't see anybody else having questions in the chat. So uh, Mark, you've got a question. Let's let's hear it. Oh, it wasn't a question. It was more so a statement about the maturity model. But if we're, if we're ready to move past that, I can just table no, my no, response. No, definitely want to hear this. Let's hear it. Um, I think maybe instead of thinking about the maturity of like the data science team, but more so think about the org as a whole, it's like the maturity of their their data acceptance and data culture. Cause I think that will more so impact your ability to move forward with your ideas or even just, you know, get started with your ideas. So like if the data maturity is like, Hey, we're bringing people in to start this. <laughs> there's a lot of work around like talking to people, build, sh- building relationships, changing people's perspectives on like metrics and like building the infrastructure for data. But if that's already established, then your challenge is different. Like you already have this people accept data scientists, they accept data and they, when you bring, bring them results and you're not fighting them to believe it, um, it's more so a challenge of like, all right, people believe it. How do I make sure it aligns with like maintaining that trust? Um, so I think that might be a more impactful way of thinking of maturity. I like that. Yeah. Thanks for uh, putting that into perspective. And then also like, you know, language I can understand since I'm going through some of those challenges you have just described. Uh, Jennifer wants to know if we got students in this call. She's got a BI intern requisition that opened up, that is opening up next That'll week. That'll open up probably next week. Okay. So if anybody knows a student interested in business intelligence, please send them my way. I know it's late in the year to be looking for an intern. And I'm hoping to find someone, of course, for more than just the summer. But was this a... Uh... In Utah? Or- yes. Intel's hiring interns anywhere, but I do need okay. someone in the U.S. But yeah, Utah would be lovely. Yeah, message me. I uh, got a bunch of students in my class that might be interested from the U. Yep. Yeah. Uh, also, my friend Josh, who I invited here today, is currently working on his master's. So, Josh, if you're interested. Please send me a text, Josh. Please. There you go. So if anybody is a student looking for an internship, holler at Jennifer Narden. If you are listening in on the podcast, I'll include a link to her profile so you can message her. All 8 million of you listening out there um, should send her a message. All right, cool. Uh, so, Tom, uh, get your hand up. Go for it. Yeah, I want to do some feature engineering on Vivian's question. Uh, okay. Are you looking for inspiration for yourself? Are you looking for the skills to inspire others? 
I want to understand you better. Um, I guess that this sort of came from the idea of like, I'm looking for another like personal project to start. And I feel like I've had a lot of false starts of like something that excites me really amazingly at first, but then, oh, wait, you know, I don't know. This is, you know, I'm sure we've all had that of like, oh, well, maybe this is dumb or something. Or just like the data doesn't work out. Like we can't gather the data we like that you really want or something, whatever. But then also just in general, it just got me thinking like in general, how do people, you know, if you're, even if you're like, even if it's a work problem, say that you're just really stuck on, like, how do you kind of like find the inspiration to move past that? I mean, I guess that I'm open to like taking it any way that people want to, if you have something you want to add, that's great. But just kind of interested, kind of interested in seeing the way people like think about different problems and how you, you know, now, kind of I'm, move past being stuck. I'm guessing this is for your personal growth and not for work. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Um, there's some fun comments going on in the chat and, and guys, when I hit those personal project hurdles, I take smaller steps. And uh, when I start to see a little bit of success again, it makes me happy because, oh, I'm seeing progress again. But so, I, Vivian, sometimes you get stuck for two weeks and you're like, can I just get over this hurdle? And uh, But every time if I go read more references, take smaller steps, it starts to become fun again. But you do need to take breaks. But sometimes, Vivian, I find you've taken that break and you get used to that break and it's kind of hard to make yourself get back in the flow of it. And I just that that's when I just try to be gritty and say, just work on it for five minutes. It's a trick I play on myself. And it really is okay to cut off at five minutes, but I never cut off at five minutes because I finally get back into it by making myself do it for at least five minutes. So like I'm kind of interested in hearing then at what point do you actually like if you were working on a personal project or something or maybe even something at work, like at what point do you go like this isn't going to work like it's not working, you know, and like just be like, I need to either give up on this or like table it for some other time, you know, like at what point is it okay to be like, I'm just beating a dead horse, you know? Okay. So since I've gotten very comfortable confessing really shitty things about myself to you, Vivian, I'm going to do it again. I really suck at releasing shitty half-baked stuff. And I wish I didn't suck at that because that is the way to do it. But what you do is, uh, well, I'm sorry, that's an at work thing. But I remember doing a take home assignment for an interview and thinking, yeah, they're not going to call me because it was really hard. And I just said, well, my model did a little better than the average. So I guess it's got some use, but they really liked the way I approached it and laid it out. And they agreed that it was impossible to get good results. So I, I went on the interview. Um but if I had been afraid to send that in, I wouldn't have even had the experience of that good interview. So it, it, I think it's okay. So much of data science deals with such crappy data, even after you've done everything you can to it, that you kind of got to get good at realizing, oh, that's 70%. That's okay. That's better than using an average. It's better than no model. And, uh, but uh, by kind of getting to that 
I, I know this is different. If it's easier to do what I'm saying when it's for work, but when it's for a personal growth project, um, another way to get over the hump is why, well, it's why Tim and I are part of Integrated Machine Learning and AI, which Harpreet, forgive me, I've been meaning to invite everyone here to our Saturday morning things. It's a little bit like what we do here, but different, but we're actually doing side projects together. So uh, a friend of mine, Vivian, we're teaching a class together, but a, a Kaggle group spun off off that. And that's great. That really grows your skills. So you just get some people you enjoy working with and you start open up a Google Drive shared folder and start a collab notebook and start modeling. Just start with something really basic on Kaggle and then go from there. Once you've been through, you know, a, a competition or two, now you can start to try some ensemble modeling or something fancy like that. But I think uh, being part of a community is definitely something that can keep up the momentum too. And I see Eric, I'm eager to hear from Eric because he's always got cool crap to share. Yeah, let's hear from uh, from Mark first, and then we'll go to Eric. So Mark, go uh, for it. Yeah, I just wanted to share. I was on LinkedIn uh, another day, and the software engineer was working on a side project. Basically said, like, all right, I meet my time limit. I'm not working on this project anymore. And he was, like, very adamant about time boxing side projects. And if it didn't fit within it, he moved on. And I guess, like, what was really interesting about the LinkedIn post is that he reframed what does finishing a project mean? So even though the project didn't work out, he had kind of like a pre-mortem where like, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. This is why I scope out. This is what I'm to try to accomplish in like, I don't know, three weeks. And then if he didn't finish in that three weeks, either he scoped it wrong or it was just more work and it just wasn't working out. And then had a post-mortem be like, this is why I learned. And so he completed a project. There was some learnings from it, but it was just like a bad project. And so he was able to fail faster and go towards things that that uh, mattered to him most. Um, so I think, you know, after reading that, I was like, I have to do that for myself <laughs> for my next project. And then something that's kind of out of left field is um, if you're finding yourself burnt out or like losing inspiration, work on a side project that's not necessarily related to the main task, but adjacent. Um, and where this really came from for me, um, in a past life, I was a dancer. I used to do a lot of street dancing and street performing. And so um, one of my dance mentors said like, hey, if you want to get better at dance, you need to do art that's not dance. You need to go do poetry. You need to go listen to music or make music. You need to go paint. And I was like, that's crazy. And I tried it and I got better at dancing. And so it allows you to work out like the same kind of ways of approaching and thinking just from a different perspective. It recharges you. And when you come back to your main tasks, you have a different perspective to look at things. Um, and so for me, for data, like my side project right now, I'm building a mechanical keyboard from scratch. And I'm excited because like the firmware coding, the QMC, wherever it is, like that's a cool coding project that's not related to data, but it's still fun, fun to do. Absolutely love that. That's spot on, man. I 100% agree with all that, Mark. Um, but regarding that that idea of when to quit, Vivian, I just want to point you to a book that was all about when to quit, uh, Seth Godin, The Dip. Um, it's a quick read. It should probably take you like an hour-ish to read, maybe two hours. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good book. A little book that teaches you when to quit and when to stick. So definitely check this out. Um I would even say like, like, so have like a cooling off period for yourself. If you think you're going to quit something like you're done, give yourself a window. Be like, all right, I quit, but I'm going to give myself a cooling off period of 24 to, I don't know, however long you need, 72 hours to decide if I'm actually going to quit. Um, so like a soft quit and then just hard quit after a uh, cooling I'd off period. Too, like part of, I guess, being better at finishing is knowing what to pick in the first place. 
So, and it's, hard, and sometimes it's hard to tell that too, right? Cause it's kind of like, there's a side project that's going to do personal growth. There's also the side project is almost everyone here has probably tried. Like I'm going to make a app or this will turn to a startup and turn me into, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos or something. Um, might be kind of cool, but I mean, if, yeah. if we did that, we, you know, be doing other stuff probably. Well, my um, next, my next side project project is, is an interesting one that I've got in the works. It's, um, it's going to be, algorithmic trading but for options so I'm, I'm putting in like my own money into this project like you know i'm gonna fund an account with not an insignificant amount of money and see if i can get this thing to work um and that will keep me motivated <laughs> that's what i'm hoping happens mm-hmm. uh, i think uh, oh well, there it's, it's, it's interesting thing about quitting though it's weird because you you never know when like if you just push another day or another month mm-hmm. if that would have just turned into something different right yeah. well yeah I mean, somebody who's like a money option trading, you kind of know when the finish yeah, line is. Yeah, so. you, finish line, you, know, you don't want to blow up. Uh, but when if if you do do your quit, and then sometime later, like an idea pops in your head, and you get a touch of inspiration, then go back and do it and get right back to work. Right? Sometimes you need that distance. Uh, but let's hear from from Eric. Eric is muted. Yeah. So I was just gonna say, I so I can definitely relate to the. The project graveyard slash the project slump. I mean, it's just like a normal thing, right? So I, I like I like concrete examples. So I have two. One is a little while back, I was working on like a route optimizer tool and stuff, and it was something using Google OR tools. It was totally new to me, but it was in Python, and so I could kind of wrap my brain around it. And so I got a couple a couple of milestones into it, and it was great. And then I quickly ran into a JavaScript problem, and I don't know JavaScript. And so I was like, well, I can like spend the last you know week or whatever of my you know, my holiday break before the semester starts again trying to like learn enough javascript to do this which will be miserable or i can not do that and i can just like take the lessons that i've learned from this and be grateful that i learned some lessons from it and i'm just gonna let this thing sit and and now it's in my you know it's in my github it works if you want to use it but one of these days i want to learn javascript and now i have a project that's like ready to incorporate it whenever i get around to it right but no rush you know and that's something, you know, to like quote David Knickerbocker, I've heard him say so many times is like, you know, like if you, if you don't finish your side project right now and you want to come back to it later, who cares? It's your side project. It's, you know, it's your thing if you want to do it or not. Then I have a different project. I was working on a, a political donations network thing and I had part of it. And part of my motivation was because I had decided I was going to like turn it in for like some for some credit instead of doing like a test or whatever and so that like helped me get some extrinsic motivation to do it and i did it well enough to answer my questions and learn some things and now it's been sitting for a few weeks and i've been thinking back to like oh you know i've as i've been self-teaching myself or self-teaching some important things through network x and about networks i think i want to go back and i want to tweak some of those i want to make some improvements because i'm smarter i'm I'm a smarter person but i don't necessarily want to start a brand new project from zero fortunately i have an okay project over here that's functional but i can make better and so then i don't have to start a whole project from zero in order to you know jump on get some momentum and enjoy some work that i've already done yeah and sometimes it's good to go into a project not even with the intent to complete the project but with the intent to at least learn something more than when you first started the project so detaching yourself from the outcome of the project itself and going in and saying, okay, let's, let me prescribe at least five things I want to learn through the course of this project. And if I learn those five things, regardless of whether this is quote unquote complete or not, I can consider this a success. That's something that that's 
no, debatable, I guess. But uh, Vin, what about you? Sorry, old man with his mute button there. Um, inspiration's weird because I've gone through different phases in my career, and at each phase, inspiration's been. I've had to find it in a different source every single time. And like, that's been my clue that it's that there's something going on and that I'm transitioning to something else or that it's time to start thinking about transitioning to something else. So it's, it's interesting that you're having this issue right now. And so one of the things I'd ask you is, are you happy doing what you're doing? You you mean me, right? And this isn't rhetorical. No, Um I mean, yeah, I, uh, I guess I don't know. I guess I'm just struggling with the idea of like, I keep trying to start a new side project and then sort of falling off of like, oh, maybe this isn't as like cool or whatever. I don't know. I just lose like the, the, the fire I had at the beginning to like continue going on. But yeah, I always think they're cool when I start, but. You're sounding like somebody at a career transition point. You really are. And, you know, I remember you saying that you'd gone to, to college pretty early on and you might actually be someone who cycles rapidly through careers. There are people that, you know, evolve rapidly from one career to the next to the next. And I've seen people who cycle through careers every four or five years. And so I would say from an inspiration standpoint, you know, look at what everybody else is doing that's around you and ask yourself if you want to do a project that would kind of involve maybe something that they do. Look at other roles, not just data science roles or software development roles. I mean, look around and see if there's a different role who would have a project, you know, where you could say, huh, maybe like a product management project, maybe something like a business case or defining a product, defining a category, learning what defining a category is. You know, there's all this cool stuff around what you know how to do as a data scientist that doesn't necessarily involve as much pounding on keyboard or writing code or completing a project that's outside of your head. So sometimes for me, inspiration's been just doing something 100% different. And that's kind of how I fell in love with strategy. I did something that was completely outside of my wheelhouse and loved it and wanted to do more. Dr. Ives. Just real quick, Vivian. I, I think Vin could be onto something, but it may, that may not be what you're going through. It, um, a lot of times, if we define ourselves by the skills we currently have, that's one dimension. But if we think how skilled we are in those different areas, there's always a way to go a little deeper in each area and maybe graphing that in a spreadsheet or something and tracking it and reminding yourself, oh, I picked this project to improve that skill that I wanted to master. Well, now you have a more well-defined reason for why you adopt or get rid of certain side projects. Well, I, I, then you just learn to take more care which project you pick so it will develop that skill that you want to develop or deepen that current skill that you already have. Just a thought as I was listening. Vivian, what do you, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, I Tell think us. that those are, yeah, some, some good ideas. Yeah. I think that Vin is right in a way. I mean, I am a career transitioner and um, like I know I mentioned last time that I started college really early and I actually feel that in some ways it didn't serve me because I didn't get a chance to like, I don't know, really find myself in like the college process because I started so young. Um, anyway, so, but I do agree that I, that, you know, I can kind of have that like scattered mindset sometimes. So I, I agree with Tom's point as well of like trying to really wrangle my, myself a little bit of like, and remind myself try to like do things one at a time or something. 
Yeah, but I also say, man, like you don't have, like this this whole notion of okay, well, I pick a career path and that's the only one that I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Like I'm not a fan of that type of mentality. I think yeah, if you find something interesting that you want to do with your time, then go explore it, go do it, right? Like just because you know, for example, let's say I had chosen accountancy and I wanted to be become an accountant. And I was an accountant for 10 years. And then now I'm just like, oh, well, you know, 10 years gone by. Might as well just be an accountant for the remaining 40 years of my life. Like, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. Like 40 years is a long time. If you don't like doing that one thing, then switch it up or find intersections that leverage the skills you have in this, but apply it in a, in a new, novel, unique type of way. Um, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of this one track career for the rest of your life type of mindset, especially since the future is going to bring jobs to us that we couldn't even imagine right now. Like, we just can't imagine what the future is going to be like. It's completely unpredictable as much as we like to try to predict it. Um, you know, we're, we're reality is uh, to, to borrow Nassim Taleb's language, right? Reality is extremistan. Right. It's not mediocre stand. We don't like how we reduce everything in into these tiny, cute little normal distributions with our life. Not the future is wild and, and crazy. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm going off on a tangent. So I'm going to stop talking. Uh, anybody else want to chime in here? Um, well, I was just going to say that I think that that's part of my problem is like allowing myself, like seeing seeing some of my like wildness as a strength instead of like, I don't know, because I, I guess that I feel that a lot of um, the working world still sort of expects people to like follow one like logical path or something like that. You know, when you're applying to jobs, they like sort of want people who have like followed like one step, then one step and like, you know, gone up this like logical career ladder or something like that. And I think that that's something that makes me like doubt myself because i am not there's, that person there's nothing more beautiful about a human being than their untamed wonder like that's like the best thing ever so don't try to box it into one tiny little thing be, be wondrous about everything um, anybody else want to one last little thing and vivian i think you can take this it's it's your turn you've asked this group so many tough questions you've pulled us pulled us out of our holes so Vivian, this one's a little harder for me to tell you. Young lady, you may need to grow some grit. You know what I mean? Just, okay, man, this project's not as fun as I thought it was going to be, but I need to see it through. And uh, Angela Duckworth is my man, my woman <laughs> on this that, point. That Love is, to listen to her. That yeah, book, I like her really book. Good. Yeah. That book helped me so much in my transition from like academic type of statistics into data science stuff. Uh, that, that really... Like the words in that book to help power me through some very up and down turbulent times um, with my motivation. So definitely recommend checking that out. Um, a lot of other great comments in the chat. If anybody else wants to speak on this before we go to Austin's question, now's the time to unmute yourself. And I'm going to keep on talking until I see someone unmute themselves. Unless the first person to unmute themselves is Austin, then Austin, you can ask a question. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll ask my question. So I'm just curious for those that are interested in the data science space and are also curious about possibly starting a business. Um, are Do they have a preference towards servicing um, style or a product style? And initially, my thought is it almost depends on the kind of problems that you want to solve or like the niche or area you want to be in. But I'm just curious what um, other people's thoughts are. That's an interesting one. So um, I'm going to go to the two people who actually got businesses going off right now. 
uh, Vin or Joe, let's start with Vin first. Well, I got I need the question rephrased a little bit because I don't, I mean, what do you, are you looking for product focus or I guess I don't really understand. Well, I guess uh, my question is just more around uh, if you want, for your instance, like what brought you to cert, like your strategy servicing kind of business consulting versus doing a product? Like, is it just because you fell into um, like the strategy is what you fell into and you really enjoyed it. So it kind of leans that way or um, what brought you to there? I get it. Um, so from the product side, what I want to build isn't possible to build yet. So I'm kind of waiting, you know, we haven't, uh, it's just, not possible. So I definitely have a product and I've always been product focused. So being in a consulting gig is a little strange, but from a perspective of actually helping businesses, when I was a consultant in the business building products for them, I couldn't get them to do all of the most profitable types of projects because I had to spend all my time really working the strategy side. So it was almost out of necessity that I've done the strategy side of the house because most businesses that I work with aren't ready to do what they could be doing, what would really improve their business model the most and what would give them a competitive advantage. And so there's a whole lot of not only business model that needs to change, but also operating model that needs to change. And I can't build cool stuff until I do that first in most companies. And so that ended up forcing me into the strategy side. But I think I see myself going back to the product side pretty soon because I got something I want to build and there are companies building some really interesting stuff. So hopefully I'll drift back to the product. I mean, the nice thing about products is there's just zero marginal cost replication. There's only one VIN. Like in order for you to make money for yourself, you have to be everywhere solving all these problems, which, you know, that's not very fun. Products just write it once and anybody can get it. Permissionless leverage, right? That's the good stuff. Mark, go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to speak from my experience from the last time I actually tried doing a startup and I had co-founders and we built something and just kind of like the lessons learned because I'm obviously not doing it right now. <laughs> um, but we, we got all the way to like Y Combinator for like a final interview and like all these cool things. So uh, tying back to Vivian is like project, we didn't completely decide to stop. It was still a great experience. Um, but I think a key thing is like, who's gonna pay for it and how are you gonna maintain it? <laughs> um, that was a key question. Like the next time I try to do a startup, like I'm going to do a startup. That's like my main goal, a lot of what I'm doing. And so a key thing is like, I need to build up enough money where I take like a year off and just focus on this. Cause that was a blocker for me and my co-founders. Cause we were in the middle of the pandemic um, and I was laid off at the time. Um, I was like, how am I going to pay to do this? Like we built this cool tool. We're trying to sell it to people, but we need to like, I need to like devote like 80 hours to, to getting our first customer. Um, and so like, that's why in the chat, I was saying like, you know, it's dependent on like the scale you want. So if you want to build a product, um, you know, that's, you know, that, that can go out wide <laughs> to as many people as possible and like have really have growth, you're probably gonna need some form of investment. Either you have your own investment that you invest from like, maybe you IPO that startup and you're, you're reinvesting that. I've seen that a lot, or you have angel investors or venture capital because making that jump of building a product and then selling to people and then making your first customer happy for a product, that's super, super hard. Um, exhilarating, but super hard. But if you're doing a lifestyle business and I can't really speak to that because I haven't pursued doing a lifestyle business, I feel like the scalability is is not there because again, like you only have one VIN, right? <laughs> um, and maybe you can hire other consultants to join you. 
but um like to start off it's like the the, the, the barrier of entry is lower um to start off for that you just have to have the skills and convince people to to hire you for for a moment and so that's that's what I'm thinking about. So like for my next go, like the reason why we we decided not to stop is that we we our assumptions for our TAM, which is the total addressable market, how big idea. Um, we made a wrong assumption. We're building pharmaceutical software um, that uses data, um, and we thought it was a ten billion dollar uh, market. And then when we learned about the market some more after doing some more interviews, we learned it was actually a hundred million dollar market. And so it'd be a smaller business. So we're like, do we want to like give up everything to pursue the small business and to sell to pharma- pharmacies locally? And we ultimately said no. Um, and so that's that's some things that I consider for my next go for when I try to do a startup. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, Austin. I just want to say, yeah, I appreciated that a lot because uh, I've kind of gone the back and forth of yeah, you're, there's only one of you <laughs> versus kind of the product. And I just, I was just interested. So I really appreciate both of those um, the thoughts. I also say, just go for it and just fail, get the failures out of the way. I learned this is the second time I tried doing a startup. The first time it was horrible. The second time it was still bad, but got a lot further. The third time might be it. There you go, man. Some good recommendations in the channel here. Cal uh, Newport's Deep Work. That's a good book. Uh, so good they can't ignore you. Also, good book and the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Oh my God, that book is amazing. Stephen Pressfield is fantastic. Tor, let's hear from you. Then after Tor, Eric. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on Mark and then and regarding this issue that you know, running startups and working on startups, I've been doing a lot of different concepts and. You know, like Vivian, you start projects and get going and you kind of drop off. And, you know, during the years, what I've learned is that, you know, you got to stick with things. There's no doubt about it. Okay, if you believe in something, stick with it. Even when you don't get motivated to wake up, you still have to work, work, work and work. That's the only way you'll get there. Now, when I did my first startup, um, we had similar issue. We created the project was just too big. So we went the wrong direction with no products. We just had a lot of nice graphs and presentations. And on my latest project that I just started now, and the focus is on product. Like everybody says, you're one person, you can only invoice so many hours a year. And yeah, there are ways for consultants to make subscription arrangements, which you're now starting to see in the industry that a lot of the consultants are now starting to offer you pay $5,000 a month and you have X access to me as your service partner and that works i mean you're you're aiming for people not to call that's your goal so that you can actually have 100 clients paying you x amount per month but yet you're only serving two or three of them but on the other hand if they do start the request then you have a challenge you got to deliver so that means you have to find other consultants and do other things the product side of things now i'm working on a SaaS concept developing products, subscription and seed sales and looking at the markets and all these things, clearly that's where the money is, okay? If you really want to have the money coming in over long term, um, then that's the way to go. But on the other hand, that's going to require a whole other set of skills because you have to continue to develop. There are competitors out there. There's a lot of things to take into consideration what you produce and develop today in three years may be outdated. So you have to follow up. So you're always gonna have to work. There is no free ride. It doesn't exist. Whether you do the consulting road or the product world, there's always work and that's all there is. Thank you very much, Tor. I saw Eric, you had your hand up. 
Yeah. So I've tried, you know, I've tried a, a few different things over the past several years and, um, you know, I'm not rich yet, so it hasn't quite worked, but, uh, one, one thing I would throw out there as a possible idea is one of the like constraints that was mentioned earlier is, you know, I need the, I need the time. I need the time, but I don't have the money to like hold me over. Right. So obviously there's the whole, like, you could just try and sit, save as much money as you can and then, you know, quit your job, focus on that or whatever. Right. That's okay. So that's, that's there. Um, but another, another option, I mean, obviously you want to try and cut your expenses as low as possible, but another option is something that is like, like, for example, I used to have an e-commerce business and I was not like filthy rich from my e-commerce business, but I made a lot more money per hour in my e-commerce business for the amount of time I had to put in it than I made in my day job, right? And so, and so, even though I couldn't replace my income yet, it could have if I if I really wanted to put time into it, or if I want to maybe buy a second business or something like that. But it was a great little way to be making money so that I could at least guarantee stay alive, right? And uh, and so if you are, the, the, the drawback to that is I wasn't working in, I wasn't working in data, right? So I was like working in something that I was pretty good at and I liked well enough, but I wasn't like, I wasn't like super jazzed about it, right? And that was, you know, drawing back to what we talked about earlier, grit. I like had to stick with it. Like I cannot sell the business right now. It like, I mean, that's like during the pandemic or whatever, you know, whenever time was, was like, it's not the right time. And so I just have to like keep moving through it. And so there's definitely times like Tor was saying when you don't really feel like doing it. But if that was the thing that was making the thing I wanted to do possible, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to make it happen until I'm ready and able to be done with it and move along. And so I would just say like, you can try different things, recognizing that they all have their, they all have their pros and cons, um, how to, how to hustle and make it happen. I absolutely love it. Such great tips, wisdom, and advice during that last segment. Um, Vivian, any further questions? I think this, that's what kicked off this, this segment, right? Um, well, I guess as Eric was talking, I was just thinking about how like one of my personal goals right now is to get more comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and that's, yeah, something I've definitely been working on, which I guess goes back to the grit and everything of like trying to, to be, and even like on this podcast, like trying to be like more willing to share and like speak up and things like that. And like, that's really, um, I think a, a major secret of success that I am, that I am currently working on being better at. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, any other questions from anybody? I don't see any in the chat. So if you have a question now, is going to be the time to unmute yourself and ask it. If not, it's been a wonderful freaking discussion. Super happy that you guys made it. Uh, great questions, great topics, great responses. Um, can't wait to listen to this one again, guys. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come and hang out. Hopefully you get a chance to tune in to the podcast episode I released today. It's all about game theory with Dr. Kevin Zolman. I named it Pulling the Grim Trigger since Grim Trigger is a strategy used in the prisoner's dilemma. I thought it'd be interesting to, to name it that. But uh, guys, don't forget to come to Sunday's office hour session. I would love to see more of you guys there. That's its office hour session that's powered by Comet ML. Um, there's, I think there should be a link to that somewhere on my LinkedIn profile, but hopefully you guys make it there. Would love to see more of you guys there. Don't forget that we have the Data Community Content Creators Award happening on June 22nd. Um, we need you guys to go out there and vote. 
spread the word. Um, if you have any favorite content creators, send them a message, give them a link, tell them to tell their people to vote um, June 22nd. So we pushed it by a couple of, of months, pushed it by two months, um, just because we're going to make it bigger and better for all of you guys. Thanks so much for hanging out. Remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big, everybody? Cheers.